As technologists, we owe it to humanity. And I think we owe humanity a few things. The first thing is we owe humanity the humility to say that as technologists, we are very devolved. Like if you look at nature and the billions of years of evolution that it's been through versus the minuscule amount of years that technology as we know it today has been Welcome everyone to WorkPod. Uh, today we have with us an interesting guest. Uh, we have CEO and founder of Wonder, uh, Claire Heather. So Claire, uh, welcome to the show. Vishal, it's so good to be here with you in the WorkPod community today. Thank you for having me. So let's 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 walk about. Uh, let's talk about your journey. Let's talk about um, what brought you to this world of future of work. So. Vishal, I'm going to go right back to when I was 18 years old. Um, I was uh, starting my college um, journey in South Africa. I was born and raised in South Africa. And I decided to, I basically wanted to work as much as possible while I was doing my undergraduate to just get as much experience as I could. And the one morning um, I was sitting in a lot of traffic um, in South Africa. And to give you an idea, the traffic is so heavy in South Africa between two of the major cities that people have to wake up at like 4 a.m. in the morning to get onto the highway at 5 a.m. to be done at, and, and ready at work at 8 a.m. So they're sitting in like three hours of traffic. And we're standing still. The traffic is not moving. I look in my rearview mirror. I see a woman eating a bowl of cereal. I look to my right, a man is busy shaving, and I look to the left, and a woman is applying mascara. And I'm like, is this my life? I'm 18 years old, and is this what adulting is about? And I, I seriously, like, the sun is busy coming up in the sky, and I'm like, no, no, <laughs> it can't be. <laughs> and I think I genuinely, I made a commitment to myself in the car that morning that I was going to dedicate the rest of my life to being a significant part of the group of people who are fascinated by work, interested in work, and who want to genuinely change it. And so I've made it my life mission to just be really curious about work and to be part of the people who are making it better for the world as a whole. So um, fa uh, fascinating. So your company, what do you guys yeah. do? Uh, if, you can, if you can briefly talk about that. So I'll I'll explain it through the problems of the of our customers and and how we solve it for them. Customers come to us when they can't quite pinpoint when something is not working right. They know that they're seeing a lot of signs of burnout in their employees. They're seeing a lot of signs of overload in terms of work and people struggling to manage with it. And they essentially come to us and say we need to transform how we work as an organization. Can you partner with us? So we describe ourselves as a digital transformation partner for companies when it comes to work. But the key differentiator is we're not just a digital transformation services organization. We are very much a data-driven organization. So we have a product called Pattern. And Pattern is a data platform that essentially extracts information out of all of the systems that people work in. And we give people a visual of their digital assembly line. So we show them how work is flowing through their organization and where and how different people and different tasks and, and everything are clustered together. 
Interesting. And um, talk to me about your entrepreneurial journey. Like you, uh, what does it really mean for you to start this company? And 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 what are some of the initial challenges you talk about? Yeah. So, Vishal, this is startup number four for me. I had a very interesting journey. The um, U.S. State Department actually ran a business plan competition um, where they were um, working with South African female entrepreneurs. And they brought us across here for two years. It was like a two-year mentorship program. So we had a very in-depth, immersive, like six-month, uh, six-week program, yeah. And then it carried on for two years. And that's essentially what started my entrepreneurial journey. So that was where I built my first company. Fast forward, you know, I spent about a decade of my life in Europe and then founded this company today. And the reason why I took about a decade to actually form this company, given that I'd made that commitment to myself on that highway when I was 18, was that I was looking for a very specific point, turning point in the market. So, and I mean, you are immersed in this world of data and cloud and how technology has changed. If you go back to like 2007, 2008, you'll remember that the cloud was something at that point that engineers understood very well and could conceptualize it. But the average layman on the street and in an office was like, what's the cloud? You know, they, it, it was like people were really grappling with it. And I, at that point in time, realized that the cloud was going to completely disrupt how people work because we were moving from a place where we were using an inbox and possibly a spreadsheet and maybe a Word document. That was our work to all of these disparate systems. And I said to myself, the day that enterprise organizations, so you know, 10,000 plus organizations take cloud technology seriously and that migration from on-prem to cloud starts in earnest, that's when this is going to become a problem. And so essentially that, you know, I waited until like 2012, 2013, started researching these problems and how work was fragmenting and impacting humans at work. And then in late 26, um, 2015, early 2016, we founded this company. So. And, and, and um, what has been, um, what has been some of, some of your um, ob observations that you have seen um, that how is, industry basically collaborating with you like how has been your journey so <laughs> this is a big broad topic and Vishal we can go in so many directions but what I'll do is I'll share I'd like to almost share a timeline of trends that I've seen play out over the last few years is the first trend is very much that people were subconsciously it wasn't something that they were doing at a conscious level dependent on physical workspaces to create a lot of their culture okay so if you think about the painstaking effort that an interior architect and interior designers and you know construction firms take in terms of planning a physical office space you know they they're very deliberate about where the kitchen is in relation to the restroom, you know, where meeting rooms are in terms of how light flows into them, all of those type of factors. And we go into these workspaces and we don't realize how they actually impact our collective behavior as a group of humans. And they don't, and we don't take into account how they impact how we actually get work done. 
And if you look at like how over the past two years we've been shoved into this very real new reality of virtual work, where the spaces that we're working in haven't actually been architected for optimal work. They're just the tools that happen to be there and that we now use to collaborate. This is where companies are going through this major change is they're having to completely re-architect their culture because the building no longer dictates that culture. You know, the building no longer gets people to move and work in a certain way without us even thinking about it. And that's why you're seeing like huge things like Zoom fatigue, Teams fatigue, because these spaces haven't been architected for mass use over prolonged periods of time the way buildings have. And if you think about how architecture has evolved and perfected the art of work, you know, it's we've we've got a long way to go in the architecture and design of digital work tools. So that's that's the first trend that I'd like to call out. The second trend that I'd like to call out is what what I call chaos theory. It's something that I've actually dedicated a lot of time to reading about and, and wrapping my head around and you know collaborating with researchers around is that if you look at the scientific concept of chaos, okay, it's something that we don't like. We we hear the word chaos and, and we push back against it. We don't want to engage with it. We want to organize it. We want to structure it. We want to put it in a box. But the reality is, is that if you actually look at the scientific theory of what is chaos, it's a highly structured, highly organized network. And it just has millions and millions of nodes. And each one of those nodes are all connected and they're all undergoing these micro changes. And so chaos feels chaotic but it actually isn't chaotic at all in terms of how we innately understand and feel chaos. And that is what you see companies and specifically leaders as a whole are grappling with right now is how do we re-architect our workplaces to actually get comfortable in chaos because we're an interconnected world. We're each worker, each employee is one of these nodes in this huge fabric of interconnected you know, moving, changing parts. And it's a lot. It's a lot to handle. It's it's a mental overload that humans have never had to deal with before. And so I'd say those are two of the I'm I'm talking macro trends. Yeah. You know what I mean? We can go into like a lot of micro trends and I'm very happy for the conversation to go there. But I think those are the two major macro trends right now that are really shaping what's happening in the world of work. Today. I think I think so, uh, but thank you so much on on sharing that shedding light on that. I think one thing that I was really excited about having a conversation with you, um, you are assisting other organizations understand the future of work, understanding this new 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 newfound reality, um, and trend plays a, a a crucial role. And I love to sort of venture into the the the, the trend yeah. side of of the world. Um, before that, I, I really want to have you uh, understand your perspective on what does the future of work really means to you? Like when when we, we, we keep hearing the word a lot, I think the fun part was three years back, we used to hear about future of work and it was totally different thing. I think the pandemic happened and what actually we want to, um, and, and this is my personal journey, what I, what I was hearing a lot about what future of work should be is pretty much like now the antithesis, like totally the negative of what, what we are seeing now because we have seen us indulge into this 
dystopian it uh, all around yeah. us phenomena so so from from your vantage point and your personal and your organizational vantage point what does really a future of work yeah and vishal i i want to completely concur with what you've just said there you know back in 2016 i was speaking about the chaos that we're living through now so we can't call that the future of work anymore this is like our present reality you know what i mean so we've got to, I, like I completely agree with you we've got to start talking about a new future I'd like to answer the question in two ways for you. I'd like to talk about a future that I would like to see and that I would like to be part of constructing and building. And then I think I'd like to talk about the realistic future that we're going to see play out if people don't take this seriously. So the future that I would really like to see is a future where we're not trying to go back to this very hard line between this is my personal life and this is my work life but where everything truly is blended and the way i see that like very practically playing out is in two areas i see work moving into a truly truly swat team type structure okay where work is no longer going to be structured around roles and specific tasks that are related to that role that are done by the same person over and over again i see organizations moving into structures where it truly is going to become about real problems that need to be solved for customers in very specific time frames and the way people and employees are going to be put onto those problems is going to be in a swat team style so it's like what is the problem what are the set of skills that we need to address this problem and how do we go and very quickly find those set of skills put them onto the problem get them to solve it and then that team disbands you know so work is going to become shorter um mission orientated in the way it happens and people will be working for multiple organizations solving multiple types of problems rather than be employed with one employer in one type of job so we're talking about a very multi-careered future the second thing that i see happening coming more directly to speaking more directly to that very blended life um practical ways that i can see that playing out is for example I don't think Ubers or Lyft or you know Aldo's or any of these transportation type of companies will remain just transportation companies. I think those are going to become offices on wheels. I think um you know we're going to see a very big shift in the transportation environment because of electricity and electric vehicles and the versatility of those vehicles to become different types of spaces and not just be vehicles, you know. So um you know i think that is where we're going to see a very very big shift which is going to enable that blend you know because right now the infrastructure isn't there in the broader society to enable that complete and total intermeshing of work and life happening at the same time but i think as electric vehicles and transportation completely evolve that we are going to see that shift happening interesting so um back i think back in um i think we're talking about 2016 what a, what a fun time it was yeah. so so um i, I remember um, i was i was talking to uh, i was addressing a, a, a graduating class and and i was talking about um, the future and and how they are venturing into what they, they should keep in mind 
and and um, at that point i was I, i i jokingly said hey future of work is not about the future or the work in a very interesting way right so it is about actually the people it's actually about you guys because it's about understanding humans understanding because now we have done enough for the technology where it's almost like a juicer right so we have know yes. how to extract the, the last piece of bit from a human and leave it leave it leave it as a pulp right so but now we when we are we have done that now the next level is can we beautify can we can we make us useful in a way that it's not like a juicer phenomenon of work where actually we we actually extract a meaningful life and the work out of these individuals and then um, the pandemic thing happened and and obviously the juicer is back in the business but but now um Uh, i think uh, i i want to know your perspective on when we were dealing with hrs when we were dealing with organizations who are struggling or grappling to get mm. their hands around this new and emerging realities which are which are always emerging and new what are some of the struggles that you are seeing like what are some of the some of the um, things that you have seen organizations that reach out to you share that you say mm. okay uh, those are some easy fix mm. I'm going to answer your question in three layers uh because I think it would be remiss to not answer it in in all of these three layers. So the first layer is at the strategic leadership level inside organizations. If you think about and I'm going to use technology as an example here, okay? when technology became a thing like way back in the early early 1900 like um you know 1990s programs were just written and the ui ux experience of the user engaging with that technology wasn't considered at all dot com bubble happens and people are like okay we've got to completely revise this and we've got to think about how we retain people inside products and how we actually make products sticky and so you see this whole evolution of ux and ui design coming in and people realizing that that's how you create an experience for a user and that's when you create stickiness inside a product human resources is going through that exact change right now we've up until now people have just been thought of as things that objects that are recruited and brought into a company they're paid and because they're paid they therefore have to produce that has been the general you know mentality around work what's now happening is companies are very quickly coming to the same realization that technology did back in the early 1990s it's about creating employee experiences okay and as thoughtfully as what products are designed today hr and particularly strategic hr your chros your chief people officers are actually having to develop that skill set that design skill set around how do i create and craft an employee experience that an employee who has multiple options decides to come yeah because of the employee experience that's created the the second layer that i want to you know answer your question from is from what i term the process and the system lens so it's the actual you know the the insides of the the operations of a company um we really and this is something that i mentioned earlier in in our conversation is you can't just expect people to function in zoom for 8 hours a day 
365 days a year. It's going to backfire. People are going to burn out. And so there's this very, and I would say that this is perhaps one of the most challenging things that companies are grappling with right now is how do we take the existing technology in its very nascent format and actually make it truly usable by our employees? Because it's not optimal. So how do we live in this like V1 state and still, you know, be like layer our good employee experience into that? And then alongside that, which plays into your world and your expertise, Vishal, is the reality that we are working alongside bots today. Um, and, you know, I don't think HR people have fully sat down and accepted that. Like, you will be recruiting bots in your future. You will be going out and finding bot companions for your employees. You know, are you building your recruitment mechanism to do that? You know, are you designing job specs in a way that enables you to do that? You know, because I think in the future, if you think about a Gen Z person, they're going to walk into a job and say, okay, you've given me this job spec. These are the problems you want me to solve, but which pieces are my human pieces and which pieces are the automated bot pieces and who is my bot counterpart that's going to be working with me on this? You know, that that's the area there that they're grappling with. And then at the third level, it's the human level. It's the very individual human level. And I want to talk about our schooling systems here. I believe our schooling systems are failing the people who are emerging into the workforce today in that they're not preparing them to navigate significant recurring ongoing change. They're not preparing them to move and function in an agile way. And that is why you're seeing the mental distress that you are today at work. That's why we're seeing the burnout. That's why we're seeing the the non-ability for people to cope with what work is today and the chaos that it is today. I think, um, yeah, sorry. No, I was just going to say, I'll pause there because that was a lot that I that I sent no, over the I, fence I think I, the, <clears throat> the last point is, um, I think, um, I, when I was, th- I was thinking about the last point, I think it, it was al- almost making me uh, feel cry about this. I think my wife and I, we have a, this huge debate about the, the relevance of school system and i think it's uh it's it's, it's right in the alley of what what you're suggesting right because how school system is preparing us to be relevant i think we're not living in a, in 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 a um uh, mechanical age we're not living in the industrial age anymore right so we the school system is designed that way i think so right now i think uh, one thing i really I like what you were saying um that we just have to be task oriented rather than sort of this job oriented or sort of this work oriented and and yeah. the school the school system and the graduate system and all that how are we were being educated is training us to be just confident individuals right so what what really are they adding to the value and why would a business pay for their premium in many ways yeah. is where they like I, I i i had this huge fight with the local university here where i was saying hey you train these guys for four years and and then two year, then two years for this advanced degree and I end up buying them for premium. But then I have to train them and I can actually take a school kid. Yes. Um, and 
probably extract 95% of the value that I need mm. to. So where does you guys come into picture where you these guys are living their entire life in school in student debts for what? Yeah. That's a different discussion. So I'm I'm sorry about. Yeah, we'll we'll park that one. But at least we we're on <laughs> the same. But that's thing. I think you are hitting right on the nail on on those things. So one thing that I I really um, admire talking to comp- people like you. Um, I'm a, I'm an, our tech company trying to explore in the HR space. You are a tech company. Um, so basically, that's a very weird um, qualification to have. Like so technology. So you are much happier in the technology side of the world. People understand they are, understand the pace, but the human side of where the technology is making the most impact. I think that's that we're living in this new age of reality that every company like ours and uh, sort of this grappling through. And and when when you look at the HR space, when you look at the technology in HR space, it's primarily um, f- uh, fitted with basically the trust that these HR folks have built with large vendors and large corporate partners on um, and and basically duct taping them into this new and emerging and 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 and, and i think what i what i uh, captured from your conversation is it's evolving you have to it requires new side new mentality and a new age of thinking but um, a startups um, in that space takes a lot of time to build trust because there are real mm-hmm. people involved real lives are involved so what has been some of some of your challenges uh, if you're if you're open to sharing on bringing hr on board in entrusting technology companies like yours because i think answer lies in 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 the new technology new way to to rethink about this problem because you cannot just it's i think it's uh, jeff old said that uh, if you ask people they just want faster horse so you cannot just okay my answer is just now produce more mm. that that same juicer mentality so what what is what, what's your take so vishal this is a very very good question that you've asked yes yes how i'm seeing it and and thinking about it so i definitely don't have definitive answers as you say this is something that's evolving and changing every single day yet yes how i i see it as it stands at present is hr pre covid and our business is actually an example of this we made a very deliberate board signed off decision to not target hr buyers pre covid Okay, we we actually drew that line. We made that stance. We are not an HR tech company, hmm. and the reason for that was because HR has not been given the permission to be strategic. It has been seen and perceived and positioned inside companies as a back office administrative function. Okay, and if you think about the key things that make up an HR role: payroll, performance management learning and development, career planning. You know what I mean? There's these very like clear buckets. There's about nine buckets that make up the HR function. COVID comes along and all of a sudden, nobody at the boardroom table at the C-level, not even the COO, knows what to do with this because it's no longer just a technology issue, just an operational issue, just a finance issue. It is a completely enmeshed, intertwined human technology issue that we're dealing with. And so what happens? The board and the shareholders turn to the chief people officer because it's 
80% a human problem and say, solve this for us. And so you now have some really, really smart strategic HR people that have been frustrated as hell for their entire careers because they've wanted to be strategic, but they haven't been able to. And you've got a set of HR generalists who have actually just been very comfortable in their administrative functions. And they're literally having to completely reinvent the profession. So if I could wave a magic wand, I would literally go and create a big university for Mm. all HR professionals around the world. And I would essentially re-educate them and I would make their degree a threefold degree. Mm. I would make it a major in technology, a major in human behavior, and a major in design to create employee experiences. And I think ultimately that that's what we're grappling with. We're grappling with a group of people who haven't been unleashed to be strategic, but they've been de- it's been demanded of them right now. They haven't been trained to be what they need to be. And so they're grappling and they're having to go and get all of these different skills. And we're seeing that. Um, so post pandemic, we've actually now moved away from our previous target market and we are targeting chief people offices and chief human resource offices. You've been through a very similar transition yourself in your own company. And the reason for it is because they now actually have the opportunity. They've been given the green light by their organizations to do what they should actually have been doing all along. Interesting. Thank thank you for sharing that. Now I think um, let's let's venture into the the trend side of the world. I think so. Okay. So um, I think we we were talking before this conversation around what a fascinating time we are living now, right? So I think you you talk about cloud boom, you talk about dot com boom. We have seen disk drive boom. We have seen car boom. So mm-hmm. we have we have lived through this this era of disruption, where this billion dollar technologies are being created and industry is being created and things are being disrupted and i think um, uh, what i really uh, like about uh, so you call it a chaos theory and i have a different uh, take on that so i think we call it uh, uh, so whenever the, the disruption happening it, it happens in the s curve and s curve basically yeah. te- a, te- a tectonic shift happen and then there's a micro trend macro trend of things are emerging and, and shaking and creating that S curve. So disk drive now, cloud and all those uh, I, um, AI. Um, but this time we are different. This time that the S curves are happening almost anywhere, are everywhere. So HR systems are getting S curve disrupted. Uh, cloud is getting S curve disrupted. AI encryption, um, open source communities are getting disrupted. And when such, such a um, shaky ground exists, it actually creates a lot of shaky situation for business who are relying primarily on on these services for understanding the significance of their business right so we are seeing that uh, and and if you're a technologist coming into this world you pretty much respect that how much risk these guys are these businesses are taking in interesting these some of these technologies when they are clearly like maybe 20 year 30 year old technologies that are really being challenged with with the evolution and basically how they have to really find either either do a totally scary leap which is again not recommended as a business or just not look at that and say okay i'll probably duck and close my eyes and nothing is happening uh, mentality and they basically no no 
clear situation for you so what has been what has been your um what has been your observation uh, when it comes to how the technology shift is happening and how organizations are responding to it to it vishal i'm pausing because it's very hard to talk broadly about how organizations are responding to it i'm going to choose to answer your question by talking specifically about how large companies are responding to it and when i say large companies i'm talking about 10000 plus employee companies and the way they're responding to it is essentially a data play um they're they're looking at where they are right now and where they find themselves is they have all of these disparate systems so they've either got you know oracle in place or an sap coupled with a workday or something like that you know as their major erp systems that are holding things together and then they're either a salesforce play or an adobe play on the sales and marketing side and then you know there's all of the different like what i would call administrative systems like buckled around that you know what i mean but essentially those are the two big major players and then naturally overarching all of that it's you know companies are either google plays in terms of their working tools or their microsoft houses and they're looking at this whole ecosystem of tools and they're saying who and what we are as a company is essentially lying inside these tools everything our know-how our actual operations our digital footprint is lying inside of these things and we don't understand it because we're not looking at it because all of these systems are siloed and so what you see these very large organizations doing is they getting really serious about building data lakes and they getting really serious about building AI and machine learning models on top of those data lakes. I think what I'm starting to see I don't think this I actually know this for a fact I can see this because I'm involved in these conversations with these companies and I know a lot of other you're an example of it you're involved in these conversations with these companies is that the problem with creating a data lake is that you're essentially creating a sewage farm like when you do that initial dump of data out of all of your company systems into that data lake it's trash it's absolute trash and there's a significant amount of work that has to be done around cleaning you know data work today because we're in this nascent phase of data intelligence is essentially janitorial work and there's a significant amount of data cleaning that has to happen before you can actually go and make sense of the data and i think that's why companies are experiencing a lot of frustration right now because they're wanting to get access to the real answers but this this phase that we're in of this data cleaning that has to happen in order to have meaningful information at the other side is taking longer than we all wanted to take you know and and the tools are not really sophisticated around that cleaning which i think is is where we're going to really see the next layer like big disruption coming in is in that play there and i think once we get through this phase of our evolution of where we become more sophisticated about data cleaning and we actually can get our data to a place where it will be easier to correlate it will be easier to make sense of relationships that exist between data we're going to see another 
big evolution, like a big jump forward where companies are like, okay, we can actually access the data now. It's telling us X, Y, or Z, and therefore we need to do A, B, and C. But the, that next jump in evolution that we need to prepare ourselves for is that it's not pretty. The answer that the data gives companies is not pretty. You know, it's when you actually truly suck all of that stuff out of these systems and truly look at your at your enterprise, it's like opening a, a wardrobe of, of skeletons, you know, because things like pay disparity and the lack of diversity inside organizations, the, the really messy operations, you know, um, that happen where finance isn't truly as connected to sales as we believe it is. You know, th these very real realities of big organizations are actually starting to become very obvious right now as people are starting to look at their data. And those are, are scary problems that, that need to be solved because when you open Pandora's box, when you open that wardrobe and look at those skeletons, you can't ignore them. You can't just like shut the cupboard again and say, I'm not going to look at it. It's like you actually have to look at it. And so to summarize, we're going through this, this data cleaning evolution. And then we're going to have to address some really serious issues that have surfaced, like cleaning out the wound. And then we're going to get to a place where we're like, okay, we're like really ready as companies to now move into this new future and to really start accelerating. But Vishal, I actually want to throw the question back at you. I'm sorry. I know this isn't my podcast. I know this is your podcast, but are you seeing something similar? Because this is an area that you play in. So no, I think, um, so what, what resonates uh, with me is, I think what you just said moments back uh, about creating a university for HR, right? So so basically, um, and I, I, I speak that a lot with, with leaders that one of the biggest problem in the data and the humanity world is we have either dreamers dream or analysts analyze. We never had, we never have analyzed who could dream or a dreamer who could analyze, right? So there is there is no bridge. So um, if, if you look at even the HR landscape today, and if, if you look at, say, their, their talent analytics team, right? So there are a bunch of radical weirdos put together with the advanced degrees, creating this fascinating, fascinating model, but they don't know how to communicate. Right? They don't know how to yeah. tell tell it to the leadership what that really means. And and they want leadership to be equally educated to be able to respond to those guys, right? So I, I think one of, one of the things that uh, I was about to ask you is, um, basically, what is your role uh, as an... Because... I, I struggle that uh, with with that with that with that concept a lot as a, as an organization. I think you when you talk about creating you know, universities, right? So you feel the need to educate HR because you understand or empathize with their situation where they have a mm -hmm. lot of power. They should be doing a lot more, but because they are not equipped, they are now stunted to act in many of these mm -hmm. situations. We see a lot, right? So we like whose responsibility is it? to educate right so when when you are dealing with many of many of your uh, prospects or clients or engagements in many situations we are that talent analytics belt who is mm. just slammed okay I, give me this radical insight i'll probably do something and then you know then because it's too radical that since there, there's no story attached to it sure you can analyze that there's a 70% chance that something will will come out good at it 
but there is no story like you cannot take that report and create it into a meaningful product uh, that mm-hmm. that comes out of it and and then when you talk to all the big banks we are in uh, convers- having conversation with uh, large um, um industry hubs they all are struggling with that with that concept of what does it really mean like i you mm-hmm. you made a very interesting point about data lake uh, we have mm-hmm. this massive slump uh, and we are throwing models at it we get amazing insights but no story that goes with it like there's no business exactly. case we're not answering the, the the so what you know so so what if you don't have your d and e and i numbers correct you know what i mean right. so, so what if you have a, a pay gap you know it's and this is where to your point i like the fact that you connected the education of the reeducation of hr with this challenge that we're facing is that hr has this ginormous task in front of them where they are essentially the bridge between these are the business objectives that we want to achieve as a company in revenue numbers but these are the problems that we're trying to solve for our customers this is the reality of our organization so out of the slew of interesting data that we've surfaced we need to focus on this one and this one and this one because these three challenges if we solve these we're going to be better on this side mm-hmm. in terms of solving and i i don't believe hr is doing that mm-hmm. i don't i don't see hr doing that today you know and i think you you raise an interesting question whose responsibility is it, it it ultimately lands on the ceos and the boards the the ceo needs to go to the board and say this is an area of major investment that we need to make as a company and this is how we should go about it because unless it comes from the board and the ceo level it's not ever going to happen right no i, I think and 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 um the funny side is so when you when you talk to when you talk to these um, like many of these businesses you see you see the problem you see sort of the the writing on the wall that um if if sort of the trust and if where they are heading to probably is not the right location it's it's basically they are struggling and mm. there is and you rightly said there is no sort of uh, buying from the leadership on this right mm. this random thoughts and you as a business would not because you are anyways not in their trusting zone where they can say okay okay maybe maybe i need this rant because and in fact i was talking to one of one of the one of the uh, people officer of a big insurance uh, reinsurance company and 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 he was talking to me about vishal um, our 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 biggest battle is uh, the battle with ourselves right so he said that um, basically my my 90% headache is to not my my brain says not to trust you or my heart says not to trust you but my brain says you are the only guy who is not tainted with what i'm seeing right so you are just coming up with this you are the fresh orange that coming to my table so now um do i really need to indulge and in how i need to indulge and whatever my heart is saying is that culture that comes with it which is trained and tuned to not listen to you and it's trained mm-hmm. and tuned to listen to maybe uh, an old school uh, mindset which is which is costing me through the roof i am getting obsolete every day mm. but then it's yeah. just it's just that at one point i just take an adventure trip with folks like you and my world changes and it, unless those things happen 
And that is the constant story with the leadership in many of the organizations. And, 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 and the fun part is the organization that needs most help are the most tight-lipped, right? So yes. that makes it all the more hard because you really empathize with them. You said, okay, you can help them. But then the culture is so protective or, or they are not being trained and equipped to make those decisions that it just it just get pretty interesting. Mm. I think I, you know, coming back to that question that you asked me earlier, Vishal, about how how we're winning that trust with HR. I think where I'm seeing that we as an organization are achieving that and actually being able to be allowed into that inner circle of HR is we're not trying to pretend to have the answers because let's be honest, we don't, and none of us have the answers, right? You know, and this is something that I really respect about our current chief revenue officer, Seth is like, I see this, this is something that he does in every single meeting where we're meeting with a customer is he's like, we don't have the answers, but we're committed to being the partner who's going to help figure it out. And I think that's, that's, that's key in the environment that we're moving in is that we're not in a phase of humanity where we actually have answers. We need to realize that we're, we're in problem phase. We're in investigation phase. You know, so if you go back to basic principles of how you solve problems, it's mm. we're right at the beginning of exploration. Interesting. So, um, from from your vantage point when when you are um, when you are dealing with these businesses so um what are some of some of the uh, some of the ideal whether you call it clients or 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 sort of leaders that you think so what is the mindset that you think um that these the, uh, the companies or the, the the leaders leading organizations should have to, to navigate through this future work? Like what's the, from, from your vantage point, what's the ideal mindset that uh, if I'm listening to this conversation and I am sort of in the, I'm not sure whether I am that uh, individual or not, what would you say mm-hmm. that, what what would it take for, for, for a leader to say, okay, I'll navigate through this probably safely? It's one single characteristic and that is, it's somebody who genuinely cares about their people's well-being. That, and, and I want us to pause there. And I want us to, this is a hard look in the mirror moment, is do you care because you just want to get business outcomes? Or do you genuinely care about the human? You know what I mean? Are, are you a leader who is willing to face the fact that the current workforce doesn't know how to navigate the present day reality? And are you willing to be the leader that's going to stand out there in front like a lone wolf and do the hard work of exploring this issue and figuring out how to solve it best? Like that, it's a very particular type of leader. It's a very particular type of person. And not all people are like that. Not all leaders are like that. Um, you know, I, I will be the first person to hold up my hand and say that if you look, if you compare myself and my co-founder, 
she's definitely more the caring one. And that's why we make a good team is because I can be the one that's focused on the business goals. And she comes in behind me and she's got that absolute heart for people. You know, she genuinely wants to do something good for our employee base. And so that's, that's for me, is the single defining characteristic. I think so. Um, uh, I, I was, I was uh, thinking of a very interesting story. Uh, when, so care is a very loaded word, by the way. It's, it's a pretty fascinating yes. word. So yes. I, was, I was talking to one of the, uh, one of the la- uh, large cap, um, uh, basically, financial services company. So I was talking to one of their chief HR officer and, and I was I was talking to him them about this idea of care, like what does care means. So so he was at one point he was touting to me about one of the tools that he built, which helps him understand how much someone is being productive at their desk. Right? Okay. So it just it it's a pretty interesting conversation. So he said, Okay, this is what we, we I can figure out if you're not typing or if you're typing whatever. And and I said okay, go on because I want to understand how it attached to the care care part. So I said okay, tell me tell me. Um, so he said, and we care, we care that you are so much happy about your work that you are enjoying most of your time producing thing, whatever right, producing the outcomes, being being sort of. So it become pretty comical on the fact that how much some uh, some folks takes care, like. And I was telling him they can pretty much justify killing someone saying that okay, I'm take I'm I care about him because I'm taking him away from his miseries, whatever, right? So his point. So I said um, that's fascinating how you interestingly take a, such a beautiful uh, goal and made a mess. So it went it went pretty south pretty quickly, but then uh, but then I think after after a year or two, so he was he was let go from the organization. He said Vishal. I see the point. So it was, it was, it was a pretty interesting. Uh, I I totally agree with you. I think care mm-hmm. is, um, and 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 having a people leader uh, who doesn't care or who basically care about the profits more than the people. Actually, it's it, it's in a weird way impact the profit in a very interesting uh, direction. In a very yeah, and Vishal, I want to come back to a point that you've made there. If if you're willing to let me meander down that that rabbit hole for a little bit there is it's important what you said that care is it's a double-edged sword it's because people have such different definitions of care you know and I think if I was to look at the biggest challenge that Gen Z's are going to face coming into the workforce is they're going to have to make significant mind shifts about what the real definition of care really is. You know, care is not telling you that you're amazing over and over. Care is not telling you good job when it wasn't actually a good job. You know, care is not about making you feel good. Care is about being willing to be real about what's really happening. Care is about being honest about what's happening. Care is about having the hard conversations around you're weak in these areas, you're strong in these areas. What are we going to do to make these weak areas better and stronger? How are we going to amplify the strong areas? You know, there's like care and kindness 
are not feel-good things. Mm. They're actually some of the hardest things to do when done right, you know. And I think, I think that it it is important that we pause on this point because I think HR people and business leaders in general should actually define how they care, you know, because it it can very easily lead to a lot of misconception in a company is if you're putting a message out there in terms of we care employee comes into the company and into the team saying, okay, I'm going to be cared for. Yeah. But their definition of care and your definition of care is completely different. I think it's important for organizations to define how they care and what that looks like on a day-to-day basis. So on that, uh, um, so a random question. So do you, should your technology care? I love that question. I love that question. Let me ask you a question in return. Are you talking specifically about our product, our product that we've built pattern, or do you want me to answer more generally about technology in general? Should Go technology- at it. I don't know. I don't care. I think it's just, uh, yeah. I want to answer and say our technology pattern, no. Because the vision of our product is that it tells the truth. So if you want to define care as truth-telling, then yes, our technology absolutely cares. But our technology doesn't aim to sugarcoat anything or to make anything nice. It's just like, the this is your digital assembly line. This is what it looks like right now. This is how your people are working. You know what I mean? Like that's, But I think in general, HR tools and HR technologies should care because they're there to serve humans. You know what I mean? And so again, it comes back to the definition of, well, how do they care? It's all about the definition of that care. You know, like a way, an example that we can use, like a metaphor that we can draw here is like medical care. Okay. Surgery is care. Mm. Rehab is also care. Mm. Both of those forms are care. But the one is putting a knife to you and cutting you. And the other one is stretching very, very, very stiff, sore, Mm. you know, scar tissue laden muscles and tendons and cartilage back into shape. Both of those things hurt like hell, but they care. Yeah, that's true. You know what I mean? So I think if we were to take that metaphor and run with it, HR technologies need to decide, are we surgeons? Are we physical therapists? You know, are we post-op surgery care? And what is our definition of care? I think, uh, well said. And um, thank you. So um, now let's, let's uh, and fascinating conversation and, and, and really, really enjoyed this. So now let's let's uh, get to slightly lighter part where we can sort of okay. So we, we we call it rapid fire. So yes. how, how this works is I will usher a something and you just tell me the first thought that comes to your mind. I'm looking forward to this, Vishal. Awesome. So should we should we should start? Yes, let's go. Awesome. So future of work. <laughs> I'm laughing. Uh, trees. Do you want to do you want to explain a bit more? I do. I do want to if you'll let me know. I'm doing a lot of reading. So I'm extremely fascinated by trees. Um 
I have been since I was a kid. Um, I was an only child. I grew up climbing trees. My parents couldn't get me out of them. I swung in the monkey vines in them. Like I just, I'm obsessed with trees and I have been since I was little. But I've actually been doing a lot of research around them recently around how they communicate and how they function as a collective whole. And I think there's a lot that we can learn from them. I think so. So um, uh, this thing reminds me of of this book. Um, I think Secret Life of Trees or something. Yes. So yes, fascinating book. I I I I love it. I think and and in fact uh, now you're saying this, all the HR leaders should read it. I think I, yes. I should they should make a point because I I to, I totally hear what uh, yes I I agree with you. This is like we are trees in in, yes. in many ways. Makes sense. Yes, agreed. Okay, back to rapid firing. Sorry, I didn't mean to distract. Awesome. I think this is the best answer on future of work I've heard so far. Uh, technology. Humans. Leadership. Care. Remote work. Do it. Uh, equity. Not everything is equitable. Accept it. Diversity. It's not what you think it is. Do you want to elaborate more? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So here's the reality. I live and am part of a very diverse family. I'm African by nature, but I'm not black African. I'm married to a Lebanese man. I have a stepdaughter whose mom is from Pakistan and um, her dad is from Iran. So like, talk about a a hodgepodge of a family, okay? (laughs) Um, We're white-skinned, so we wouldn't be put into any D&I metric or quota system. You know what I mean? And yet we bring a lot of diversity. And we were actually having this, this conversation as a family just a few days ago is, the the DE&I metrics and, and frameworks that people are putting into place right now are very limiting. And I think it's actually going to bounce back and hurt us mm. because if you go and you look at like the limited frameworks that people are using right now, a Swedish family arrives here mm. as white as anything. You know what I mean? But not white as we describe the culture. You know what I mean? I'm using very provocative terms right now. Mm. We can't put them into the space because they don't tick the diversity box, and yet they would actually be perfectly diverse and actually make the environment amazing. That's that's what I mean. It's not what you think it is. Uh, I think could not agree with you more. I think this is uh, absolutely as as a technologist. I think so. We have this joke that uh, if you want to learn diversity, uh, ask an AI to figure it out. Because I think one thing that um, so. Because we have so much of variables in us, like even my surrounding, my kids, my wife, my my dad gives, like they all give me different, uh, my town that I'm living in. So there are so many things I'm, as as you rightly pointed out, if I'm say Caucasian living in a a black town or uh, um, uh, immigrant town, what would you call it? Right. So, there's so many things that have already influenced me, but now you sort of uh, box me out in a different way because because of broad general boxes. 
Mm. I agree. It's I think it's a, it's at some point AI should take care of these things because then you can have sort of it, it, I think you, you rightly said numbers, right? So technology should not care, right? It should exactly. tell you the, it should tell you the truth. Should not care. Yeah, and it shouldn't be limited to race, and it shouldn't be limited to skin color. There's so many more factors that make up diversity. It's everything from the food we eat to the cultures that we choose to celebrate and make part of our lives to the spiritual practices that we choose to make part of our life to the fashion that we choose to make part of our lives. You know what? There's so many variables. And I think I like what you said there because I've never considered that is like let HR, like let AI make that decision is because AI has the ability to look at all those variables. Well, it's, 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 it's weird. So um, slightly tangent, because I think this is really, really important here. So we have this AI, um, we have this AI tool. And when, when, when we're dealing with HR, uh, one of, this was one of our recruiting offerings. So somebody says, hey, we love diversity. We love diversity candidates, whatever, right? So we ask mm-hmm. HR to click candidates and the, now AI is seeing it. So we very quickly realized that every HR they have a or a recruiter they have a very particular taste of candidate they're yeah. they're, 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 they're kicking in. So so we said okay, then there's all, although you don't want uh, you want to be diverse, but the the way your culture is getting people in, it's it's not supporting the diversity thing. So what we did so we changed the algorithm to say okay, throw twenty percent random people in their search results, right? Just see what maybe that throw them off right slightly and we are seeing sl- far better results we are seeing that and, and when we call it diverse so it's we're not co- we're not calling like a- ethnic diversity we're calling primarily um skill diversity or or yeah. basically yeah. geolocal diversity and all that and we realize that the ai is basically it's it's get, the the recruiters are having fun because now they're not guilty they're they, they feel they're giving everyone a chance because after yes. a while, even they realize they're clicking a particular, if you're an international, you're clicking all the internationals. So it was yes. weird all across. I think so giving it to AI and saying, okay, just you figure it out. You and figure we keep, it out, yeah. And we, we keep pivoting the notes, gave slightly better results than, than what humans I are. I love it. So it's I good. absolutely love it. Yeah. May, may AI do our recruiting for us in the future. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So hopefully... <laughs> So far, so far, AI is failing. So far, I think uh, the track yeah. record is not very in favor. But yes, yeah, I think it's that's, not very in favor. But it's it's doing some good right it's, now. Yeah, it's actually it's it, because we. I think it's it's not. So one of one of the thing that uh, we say that all of us have this very sophisticated computer that we're living with, right? And it took ages for us to program this, mm. and now we are giving some of our core capabilities to this AI. It's always like very interesting. Um, I hope that we we sort of go with caution as a technologist. Yeah. I'm thinking, and I should. Uh, but I think you're rightly pointing out this. We need a progressive thinking on the on the HR front. So on yeah. that, yeah. Anyways, long tangent. I think it's this is the most weirdest rapid fire I've done, but but fun. <laughs> uh, Good l- l- uh, legislature. The right to work. It's deep. Jobs of future. Bot companions. Future of learning. Multifaceted degrees. Things that keep you up at night. 
Nothing keeps me up at night. Oh I my sleep. God, you're blessed. Really? Really. I sleep and I can sleep anywhere. <laughs> it's pretty cool. So thank you. Thank you for, for playing that. It was it was so much fun. So now let's let's spend a few minutes on your personal journey. Okay. okay. So um, we ask all of our guests to talk about some of the qualities that have really helped them be what they are and have them be become what they've become. What are some of those qualities that have really helped you shape what you are today? I'm going to talk about a quality that people find easy to live with, and I'm going to talk about a quality that drives people absolutely insane. <laughs> so I think, and people tell me this as well, Vishal, I'm, I'm just a big kid. Um, I'm, you know, 36 year old, but I function in many ways. I, I approach life as if I'm still five. I just have like a childlike curiosity and an ability to play, like actual outdoor physical play. Like my nephews can still get me to climb a tree with them. You know what I mean? That's, it, that's the type of stuff. And I think that curiosity is what keeps me asking questions and keeps me looking at things from different angles. And then just sheer stubbornness. Like if I set my mind to something, I'm going to get it done. Like mm. I'm going to get it done. And come hell or high water, I'm going to get it done. <laughs> <laughs> That's a scary thing. And yeah, it's, it, it drives people around me absolutely not. I get it done. <laughs> Super. I think that's that's awesome. So um, we ask all of our guests to share some of their favorite reads, some of the books that have inspired them or some of the books that they're reading now. So, Vishal, the first thing I think I need to admit is that I read anywhere between about 25 to 30 books at the same time. Oh, my um, God. Yes. I The type of reader that I am is I've never, ever been able to move to a tablet reader or, or any form of electronic reader because – I always have a pencil or a pen in my hand. I'm constantly having arguments with the author in the margins and I'm like underlining things and I'm making my own notes and everything. So when I've read a book, you can see that somebody has been very present inside the book. And because of that, because of how deeply I engage with the material, I tend to leave it for a while, ponder it and come back. And I actually find that by reading multiple books, I'm able to cross synthesize information but what I will share is um, two books that I'm busy reading at the moment. The one I'm reading for the first time, it's called The Nature Fix. Mm. A fascinating um, book where a woman, a journalist, has basically decided to go and follow um, all of the researchers who are currently researching how nature impacts work and our ability to be productive, functioning humans. And there's no hypothesis in the book or anything like that. She's literally following these researchers and sharing what they're discovering and what they're hypothesizing. So wide open. Um, and then the other one that I'm reading, I'm actually reading it for the seventh time, is The Hard Things um, About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think that book is, is still going to fall <laughs> apart in my hands. <laughs> I just. Leadership is hard. It's really hard. Um, getting people to buy into a future state that isn't easy, that doesn't feel good, but that's worthwhile. 
is hard. And I just sometimes I just need some Ben so that I can remember that there are business leaders out there who have dealt with the hard things in far larger scales than I have. So I think so there's a so um, I have this weird fascination. So whenever I go to say library, say Barnes and Noble or wherever, and I, I find hard things, hard things, I just pick it up and put it on the horror section. So that's, <laughs> that's where it should have been from day one. It's not, it's not meant. It's just he had some weird thoughts, and now we are having it too. So it's absolutely. I think it's yeah. I, brutal yeah. truth. And and many times you, if you want to understand the and at one point I was I was telling my wife if you want to understand what's going on sometimes read this book so some of something book. or the other is going on at all the time so exactly yeah but so. I think I I I loved um I loved the the nature fix I think that's another uh, and 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 slight tangent so um, yes AI right so most yes. of so whenever my engineers and we are looking for any solution on any insight of how how would we should do the best answers are 99.9% times are in nature if if we find a, a role model that has done it and and many of the successful algorithm where even we are our biggest point is panic our biggest panic is panic like uh, bias we don't want the ai yeah. to have bias so every time we, when we are looking for ideas i think nature how nature because nature makes things more human and i think when whenever when i asked you about um, should technology care i think that's that's the only part uh, where i think technology should care because people are relying a lot more on technology and if technology is not many many times it's doing our our homework in many ways as i said yeah. if if I, if i would let them be what they want to see they would all be biased towards the candidate they are hiring they would not mm. see diversity so that now the ai said okay no i cannot take that as an answer i should indulge because mm. i really want them to get better candidates and not mm. not better looking candidates so yes so that's the that's that's where um, it was pretty weird but i think mm. i i totally admire your um, uh, the nature fix and, and and that fascination towards learning this from technology as a technologist that yes. is i think that's most of us i think many of us we owe it to the society yeah to understand and see how we can translate our geeky side to the human side i think that's why you exactly. and i I, yeah. i admire you for that for sure and i think you know to your point there vishal i think i like how you phrased it there as technologists we owe it to humanity and i think we owe humanity a few things the first thing is we owe humanity the humility to say that as technologists we are very devolved mm. like if you look at nature and the billions of years of evolution that it's been through versus the minuscule amount of years that technology as we know it today has been through i think that's the first point is is mm. that humility to recognize the devolved state that we are in and then the second thing is is to have again the humility to actually go and learn from the very evolved side of the scale and say how can we do that and i i love that you guys do that you know with your ai is go and look for those models in nature thank you so last but not the least so if you yeah. want something uh, that our listeners and and viewers to take away from this conversation what would that be like what would be your parting thought 
if you are a chief people officer, a VP in HR, an HR generalist in HR administration, consider going and reskilling yourself. You, you need to recognize that, that the problems that you're facing are complex and need a different set of skills. If you're a business leader grappling with your people and your systems, know that there is partners out there who can work with you on these things, and we would love to work with you. And I think to the very last point that we've just discussed, get out of the box. It doesn't matter what type of leader you are, what type of listener you are. I think we're, we're, I don't think, I know that we're living in an age of problems that can't be solved the way we solved problems before. We need to go somewhere else. Thank you. Uh, I think with that, Claire, thank you so much for, for spending your time and being generous with it. And as a, as, as a fellow um, um, technologist in building a startup in, in HR space, I, real, I have nothing but admiration for, for your effort because I think many times people don't realize how much it takes, uh, how much... Um, Basically, you are you are investing yourself to educate the market to being sort of that that uh, arbitrar that helps understand where the industry is heading to, and that and that on the other side you are being humble and polite to the point where you are not perceived as threatening, to and and from that point of view I de- I really admire and I think from what I have heard, uh, wish you nothing but phenomenal success in your journey. You're always welcome back on the podcast uh, to talk about how things are moving. And and maybe we should talk about trees at some point. I think it's a it's another fascinating conversation that we should indulge at some point. I would love to have a conversation with you, Vishal. The same respect um, for you. Uh, thank you for having me here today. Thank you for the rapid fire questions and the longer questions and the funny questions. And you know, just thank you for being you. You're a good human. We've got a lot to learn from you, and I'm looking forward to hosting you on our podcast soon. Thank you. Thank you for the time. Good stuff. Thanks, Vishal.